And thank you, Brad and Melissa. Well, today we celebrate our 137th anniversary. And as I think back about this, I give glory to God that Cedar Bluff Baptist Church has been faithfully preaching the same gospel and holding the same Bible doctrine since 1883. Amen. And we may not realize this, but history has taught us that there is always a liberal attrition to every institution, every organization that works against it, that is applying pressure for it to move into a more progressive area. Along the way, our state and national Baptist conventions did have some struggles with theological liberalism and progressivism. And so Cedar Bluff Baptist Church did its part to participate in the conservative resurgence of the 1980s and the 1990s and to recover our national convention and bring it back to an orthodox biblical position. But it became evident that the existing state convention that we had been a part of could not be recovered from its liberal leanings. And so our church partnered with other churches from the state of Virginia to form a new state convention giving birth to the Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia in 1996. Our state convention now has over 740 cooperating churches, and we stand on two foundational pillars. The first is the inerrancy of Scripture. All 700-plus of our churches believe that this is the inspired word of God without error, without any uh, fallibility from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We all agree. There is no disagreement on that in our state Amen. convention. The other pillar that our convention was formed on and we stand on is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We believe that God has called us to take the gospel of all the world, to baptize believers, and to disciple them. But we also realize that we cannot do that alone. And so our cooperation with other churches in our state allow us to better fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ. Well, I say all of that not just to give you a history lesson, but to mm -hmm. introduce our guest speaker today, which is Brandon Pickett. He is the Associate Executive Director of the Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia, and he has served in that role for several years. I'm going to ask him to come. He's going to share a few uh, words with us about our state convention, and then he's going to preach to us from God's Word. So, Brandon, you come on and oh. feel welcome here today. Thank you so much, Pastor. It is so good to be with you. I've been looking forward to this for a number of months since Pastor Justin asked me to come. And let me just say this, because I want to make sure I let you know, Pastor Justin, uh, we are so thankful that he serves on our executive board. There are uh, a little bit more than 30 people from all over the state that come together, and really, we answer to the churches. The SBCV is nothing if not for the churches that, that are part of it. And the churches tell the state convention what to do with missions, evangelism, disaster relief, church planting, all of it comes from the churches. So we say the headquarters of the SBCV is right here, Cedar Bluff, and other churches just like this, this is the headquarters. So thank you for allowing Pastor Justin to uh, serve on the executive board, and uh, we're so thankful for him and many other pastors of like mine. 
Well, my name is Brandon Pickett. I'll just give you a little bit of uh, background about me. Uh, my wife and I, Wendy, we've been married for 28 years. We have four children. My oldest son, Andrew's 23. Then my daughter, Lauren, is 20. And then I have another daughter named Rachel. She's 16. And then Lily came along, and she's eight. So, uh, yeah, we have a full house, and it's very interesting. In fact, I remember when I uh, shared with my coworkers that Lily was on her way eight years ago. One of my friends, I don't know if he was joking or serious, but he said, when Lily's getting her license, they're going to be taking my license away. So uh, I'm getting ready for that day uh, in a little while. But it, it, it's a lot of fun. We have a great time together as a family. And I love serving the churches of the SBCV. And I love serving here uh, just uh, in Virginia. It's so diverse. It's so great to go around to different churches and to share not just what God is doing around the country, but what is he doing here in the state of Virginia. And because of our partnership together, let me just say that Cedar Bluff Baptist Church is working right now. You are working all over the world, spreading the gospel and God's love to thousands, if not millions of people as we speak. Let me explain what I mean. Just this week, okay, we had, just this past week, we had a hurricane come through. And it spawned some tornadoes that came through. Well, do you know the day after those tornadoes, Cedar Bluff had people on the ground serving those who had trees and power lines down and all this kind of damage in the Suffolk area and Gloucester area. You had workers on the ground because of our partnership. Did you see the big, huge blast that happened in Beirut this past week? Do you know that the day after that happened, you, Cedar Bluff Baptist Church, had a missionary on the ground talking to people about the gospel. His name is Tony, and we had a chance to talk to Tony about that. He's a church planter in Northern Virginia, but he has a ministry in Lebanon, and he happened to be on the ground when that hit right outside of Beirut. And so because of our partnership together, Cedar Bluff had somebody on the ground sharing God's love with people, and he reported back that people are more open to the gospel in Lebanon than they've ever been before. Isn't that tremendous? Let's thank the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for what he's doing. And you know, with uh, something, I don't know, you heard what's happening around. Have you ever heard of coronavirus? You've not heard of that, have you? No, no. But you know that because of that, there are people that need more assistance, more compassion, and more feeding ministries around Virginia. And one of those places is in Martinsville, Virginia. And the pastor there, Pastor Michael Harrison, has a tremendous church and ministry there. And we caught up with him a few weeks ago. And we have a video I want to show you of how our partnership together is changing lives for Jesus Christ. Let's watch this.
Sunday about two o'clock. Sunday school church. Fred has volunteered here at church four days a week. Um, he's my right hand man. He's trying to do everything I can for the church. It's been incredible to watch him. The demographics here in Marshall, things kind of changed a little bit than we were with the number one unemployment, lots of poverty, lots of hurting folks, and then add in the coronavirus. wanted you to see that because through your gifts, through the cooperative program, and through the Vision Virginia State Missions offering, people are hearing the gospel, they're getting fed, and they're coming to Christ. So thank you so much. And we say through. I, I never say you don't give to something. Giving to something means that it could just stay there. But what we do is we give through the cooperative program, and we give through this because it doesn't stay anywhere. It goes right to the mission field. And it goes right to church planters and churches and ministries so they can immediately serve their communities and people can hear about the gospel. So thank you again for your gifts. Let's open up our Bibles this morning. And the time I have available, I wanted to kind of share with you through Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. And uh, once you find that, we're going to read a couple verses together and then we're kind of break it down. And I'll be finished, oh, no later than around 1.15 today. So, and then that barbecue should be nice and ready. No, I'll be finished in plenty of time because my stomach's going to start growling and I'm going to need to eat with you guys. But let's all stand up as we go to Isaiah chapter 43. Thank you so much for standing in honor of God's word. And we'll read just a few verses together. It says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Man, don't we need that? And Pastor Justin, I'm glad you're going to do that study on fear coming up. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore I will give men for thee and people for thy life. He says it again, fear not. For I am with thee, I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, 
And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Now I want you to go to verse 18, if you would, please. Verse 18 and 19. He says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for all of your blessings. But even now, Lord, we ask that you do something new today. Do something new in our hearts. Do something new in our lives, our families, and yes, even in this church. Lord, get me out of the way. May your words go forth with power today and change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, about 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, in April, April 10th, actually, actually April 20th, 2010, it started as a normal day on the oil drilling rig, the Deepwater Horizon. You may have heard of it. It was drilling in a very, very deep area outside of Louisiana called the Mankando Prospect. And they were just about ready to finish, finish up this long drill. It was maybe just a few days left. And they had wrapping up, and right then there was an explosion, a massive explosion that caused this, caused this huge fire. And they tried to extinguish it, but they couldn't. And as you can see, look at all the, the tanker trucks around there trying to put that thing out and it couldn't and it burned and it burned and it burned for two days and near the end of the second day it started to sink which is the worst thing that could possibly happen right then people had died people were injured and now this thing was starting to sink and when it sank it broke off the pipe from the well and oil started gushing out over days and days, and weeks, and weeks, and months. Do you remember that? You remember the media talking about that? And it did, and it just kept gushing out over time until July 15th. It finally, they finally capped it, but it, it caused the largest oil spill in U.S. history. And the media said, this will never get clean. If it does, it's going to take years and decades, and it's going, to, it's going to ruin the landscape and the ecosystem, and you'll never see this again. You know, sometimes in the middle of a crisis, you can't see the end of that crisis. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, every time, let's be real here, right, with this COVID-19, we're standing here in August. Man, when this really started breaking in March, you, did you have any idea in August, you'd still be talking about this and not know when the end is. Sometimes in the middle of a crisis, you're praying and you're thinking, Lord, how much longer? And that's what they were thinking then. But then on the heels of that crisis, something else happened. At the beginning of the next year in 2011, a big snowmelt, heavy rains and storms caused the Mississippi River to flood. And it was a massive flood that they hadn't seen in almost a hundred years and it spilled over levees and dams and and it was everywhere and it caused so many people to get evacuated thousands of people had to get evacuated and people were like 
oh my goodness, this is horrible. But God caused that because guess what happened? As that huge amount of water started coming down the Mississippi and into Mississippi and Louisiana, what do you think it did to the oil? It washed it away. All of a sudden, not in a matter of decades and hundreds of years, but in a matter of weeks, the oil was washed out. And all of a sudden, the ecosystem that had been pretty much devastated because of those levees and dams and spillways, all of a sudden now, they started coming back and the, and the vegetation started coming back and the, and the, and the uh, seafood started coming back. And then when the seafood started coming back, the jobs started coming back and the industry started coming back and all this stuff started happening. And they're like, wow, can you believe this? What happened, what God used here is this flooding to actually wash away and cause something new. Sometimes we don't know what God's doing, but he's actually causing things to happen in our life for his glory that aren't always as comfortable. In fact, you know, God is so faithful. He will send you or take you or put things in your life to put you where he wants you and where he wants you to go so you can be faithful for him somewhere that you had no idea, couldn't ever imagine or expect. You could not believe a year ago that you would be wearing a mask to church. But here we are. But praise the Lord, we can meet together, and we don't know what God is doing through this, but he is working his work right now. You know, it's funny. Here in Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet is talking to the, Israel, the Israelites, especially from Judah. You see, this was written about the late 6th century B.C., and this was when the Judeans, really, or Judah, people from Judah were suffering under the Babylonians. And then not too long after that, the Persians. And what happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in to Judah? He actually conquered the land, conquered Jerusalem and Judea, and he took people from there back to Babylon. You may remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was their Babylonians name. But, you know, he took them, and I used to think, before I really studied it, that Nebuchadnezzar took everybody. Everybody was a captive, and they all left um, Israel, and they went to Babylon. But that wasn't the case at all. In fact, what they did was they took somewhat of the best and the brightest and the strongest and those people that could be a real asset to the, the culture and the economy and all these things in Babylon. Well, what do you think that left there they they left thousands and thousands of people in judea which everything had collapsed by that time because if you take all the best and the brightest what happens then and so not only is their economy tanking and there's a famine in the land and their cities are demolished and it's a big wasteland now but now they're thinking hey what about me <laughs> Maybe it's looking good. I wish I was taken, but they, you don't know what they were thinking. And they were, but I know one thing they were probably thinking, where was God in this? God, where are you? Have you forgotten about us? You said that this would be our promised land. You said you would dwell here forever. Where are you? And in the previous chapters, God says, hey, I was with you. I've done all these great things for you, but you left me. You left me. I, I took you out of Egypt. I gave you all these things. I gave you manna in the desert. I gave you quail. I gave you water from a rock. I did all these things, and you left me. And so I brought this about 
not to cause you to smash you into the dirt under my heel, but to reach my hand down and pull you to me. So he rebuked them, but at the same time he's rebuking them, he's causing them to look up and to see his love for them. Aren't you glad that when God disciplines us, he does it in love and in restoration? Sometimes we feel sometimes that conviction, that conviction is actually a good thing. Okay, don't run from it. The conviction that God gives us is to say, hey, you're not on the right path. I want you to come back on the right path. And he does it in such a gentle, loving way for our benefit. But here in, verse, in chapter 43, God is saying, okay, you have done this, but now get ready because I am going to do something new. And so I'm going to break this down for you and show you a couple different things. First off, what God has done. Because I think sometimes we have to stop and say, wow, let's look back and see what God has done. It's neat after 136, 7 years to look back at what God has done here at Cedar Bluff. And sometimes it's good, though, to say what he's done in your life and in your family's life. There was a time that I worked with the North American Mission Board, and I was in charge of communications for all of the North American Mission Board. It was a great job, and we were in charge, in fact, of all the Annie Armstrong materials, and we did all of these other different things, and that job ended abruptly, and uh, we actually didn't want to leave, but it was time because I was told, your job's ended. I said, okay, well, what about that? And so my children were young, and they were like, Dad, we don't want to leave, and then we went to from uh, the Atlanta area to Lynchburg, and they wanted to stay in Atlanta. In fact, my son said, can I just stay here? And he, I forget how old he was, like sixth, fifth or sixth grade. I said, no, you've got to come with us. You can't stay with your best friends there. And so they were not happy about that. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to stop, and I wanted to look back over the years. And so every year, about the time, about the anniversary of when we moved, I would bring the family together and say, hey, guys, what has God done in the last year for us? And that first year, it was neat. It was a few things. But I could tell they still wanted to be back even after one year in the Atlanta area. After the second year, it was more excitement of where they were, and they could see, look what God did here. And he, wow, I've got these friends, and I got this, and wow, look what he's done here. And then all of a sudden, the third year, I said, now let's look back. What has God done now? And now I said, so if I got a job down in Atlanta, would you want me to move? They said, no, 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 don't move again. Please, let's stay here. We're happy here. It's interesting to see what God has done, how you can rehearse all of the wonderful things. And so let's look at this. Verse 1 of 43, he says, But thus saith the Lord who created you and he who formed you. What God has done, he formed you. Don't forget that that it's God himself that formed you, David said, in the innermost parts. That's why we are pro-life. That's why we believe if from conception until God takes you home, that life is formed and created by God. That's why, not just because we have some kind of political bent and some political action committee. No, no, no. We believe it's the word of God that says it. And so we believe that and we love life from, and all life from beginning to end. He's formed you. What else has he done? He's redeemed you. Also there, fear not for I have 
redeemed you. What does that mean? What does redeeming mean? It means that God bought you back. It's really what it means through his son Jesus. He redeemed you. Remember, we were born into sin. And so really, we, from the birth, from the time we're conceived in birth, we are sinners, the Bible said. But when you ask Jesus in your heart as your personal Savior, and they ask you, ask you, to, you ask him to forgive your sins, because it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you do that, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins, and he buys you back. He's redeemed you. What else has he done? He's loved you. Verse 4, he says, and I have loved you. Isn't that great? Don't forget that. When you wake up in the morning, it's hard to get out of bed, and you're like, oh, my goodness, where's my mask? Oh, no. No, remember, he has loved you, and he does love you that day. And what else? He's named you. He's named you, verse 7. Everyone is called by my name who I've created for my glory. I've formed him. Yes, I have made him. He's named you. He knows you better than anybody else. He knows the Bible says the very hairs on your head. And for some of us it's less and some of us it's more. But that's all right. He knows every hair on your head. He's, he's named you. Look at that. He's formed you. He's redeemed you. He's loved you. He's named you. That's what he has done. But what does he want us to do? He's done some things. Now does, what does he want us to do? Okay. Well, let's look at this. Verse 18. That's why I had us jump down there. It says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. He wants us to forget the things of the past. Now, you may be saying, hold on, Brandon. You said two different things right there. You said we need to rehearse the things that God has done, and now you're saying to forget the things of the past. What? Pick one, stick in a lane, and just stay there. No. No, there's actually two different things here. He does want us to remember what he's done and, to re and rehearse those things and praise him for those things. But he doesn't want us to live our lives in the past. You see, the Israelites at this time were living life in an Eeyore kind of way. Anybody remember Winnie the Pooh? Like Eeyore, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah, I love it. You know, that's Eeyore. And they were kind of in that Eeyore mentality. I'm sure, woe is me. Oh, life is so hard. Look at this. All the smart people left. What do we do? You know, that kind of thing. No. You know, I go to so many churches and I hear all these great stories, but sometimes the churches, and you can tell when the church is living in the past, in their heyday of 1983, okay? And everything got locked into that moment. Everything they did. I love coming here to Cedar Bluff because, I mean, you guys are celebrating the past, but you're living in today. How do I know? I'm looking at three iPhones right here. They're live streaming. We're living today. Why? Because we're broadcasting out for those people who can't come here right now. Hi, everybody. They, they can't be here or they, there's some reason that, that they want to be here, and they can watch it now. So Cedar Bluff is like, wow, praise the Lord for what he's done, but I'm living today. You see, here's the thing. You can't have space open for what will happen when you're filled up with what has happened. You cannot have space open today for what will happen when you're so filled up with what has happened. 
me give you an illustration here. Everybody, put your hand out and close it like this, real tight. Now, you don't know this, but I have a $100 bill in my pocket. No, where is it? Oh, I left it with Wendy. Okay. Well, anyway, if I had a $100 bill and I wanted to come and give you that $100 bill, and I come down here and I go, hey, let me, let me, uh, I can't do it. It will just fall on the ground because he's so closed up. Now, open up. When you're open up, now he's got his whole hand for what God wants to put in his hand. I could put something in that hand right now. When you're closed up with what has happened, God can't put anything in your life that day because, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm closed up. No, open up your heart, open up your life for what he wants to put into it. And sometimes that means you have to get over certain things, fears, failures, hurts, and hang-ups that you have. Sometimes we have these fears that we have. And God's saying, get over that. Give that to me. Let me have it. Cast your care upon me because I care for you, Jesus says. He wants you to lay your burdens at him because his burden is light. To give your burdens to him. He said, give me your fears. Give me your failures. I don't know about you, but I've had some failures in my life. I look back on with four children, I've made one or two mistakes in, in my life. In fact, we were joking last night with Pastor Justin and his wife that my oldest, 23, I say, I'm sorry, I learned on you, so now I'm the perfect dad for Lily, right? That's not true either. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we wish we could do other things. And if I was always so upset and so sad, even though I, I've asked forgiveness, but if I can't get over it, then I'm not any good for what I need to do today. Fears and failures and hurts and hangs up, hang-ups, things that people have done to you that you're like, I can't get over what they did to me. And when that happens, it's not hurting that person, it's hurting you. And God wants you to give that to him. I was sharing this one time in a Bible study, and um, one of the ladies said that she had been abused as a young girl, and she didn't realize it until we were talking about it, but every morning she would rehearse what had been done to her as a young girl while she was putting up on her makeup. And so for for hours after that, every single day, she was living in the past, and that hurt was fresh that day, every day. And so she realized, I've got to stop that. I've got to give this to God. I've got to wake up and give it to the Lord. I've got to wake up and get over this and stop remembering it and stop living that every day. Because then, after a while, I went back to her and asked her, so how, what's it like now? And she said, well, now it's so good because now I actually have more of my day to live with what God wants me to do, not in the past, but in the present. And sometimes that means we have to confess sin. We have to confess past sin. We can't get over it because we haven't confessed it to the Lord. You know, he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's a, a great way to get clean from that with God. But sometimes we need to do that with our fellow man and woman that we have to ask, oh, please forgive me for that. And then once you do that, now I'm free for the day. So that's what God wants us to do. So now we've seen what he has done, what he wants us to do, and now in the last few minutes, what he will do. What he will do. Let's look again at verse 18 and 19 here. He says, don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a, what does it say? A new thing. Wow, he wants to do a new thing in our life. 
and in our life, in our family. He wants to do a new thing in our church. He wants to do a new thing in our community. It's interesting how when it starts in your heart, it just emanates out. It's amazing to see this. He said beasts in the field will honor him, and the jackals and the ostriches. Wow, some people have been, I look at this like, you've been in a dry place for a long time, so much that you've got wild animals in your life. And you're like, wow, I've been in, no, God wants to put something new in your life. And he said, here's what he says, I will make a road in the wilderness, and I will make rivers in the desert. He can turn something around so much. You might have been in a wilderness, and he goes, I'm going to make a road. And now what you couldn't think, you couldn't even imagine what happened. All of a sudden, now there's a road. And just in case you're thirsty along the way, I'm going to make a river in there and make it for drinking water for you so you don't get thirsty anymore. Now, I'm talking in, you know, it could be reality, but, but in truth, you know, sometimes you've had some dry times in your spiritual life. And you're like, Lord, I've really had some dry times. He wants to do something new in your spiritual life. He wants to do something new in your family. You know, I got to tell you, this is a personal testimony for me that, and my wife that the coronavirus has caused our family, when you have a 23, a 20, a 16, and an 8, you're all over the place, right? You're all over. Well, what has coronavirus done? It's caused us to come back together. We've had to. And we, we're having a lot more meals together and a lot of talks and we're praying together and our family's actually growing stronger together because of something that I never wished for, but he's doing a new thing. And maybe he wants to do that in your life as well. So now what? The last point, now what? Here's the first, verse 18, forget the things of the past. Again, don't keep yourself all closed up and filled up with what has happened when he wants to fill you up with what will happen. So forget the things of the past. Praise him, verse 21 says, This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Praise him. Praise him. That's what he, he inhabits the praise of his people, but he also inhabits the prayers of his people. So pray. Pray. You may say, well, Brandon, that's pretty, that's pretty basic. Well, many times we talk about prayer, but we don't actually pray. He wants us to pray. And actually, I, I really would challenge you to pray for something new. No matter your age, you're, you might be young, you might be older, but pray. And remember to each day, give him each day and anticipate this new opportunity as you pray and see what he does. And in a year, just see if it's not done something new in your life. One of my great privileges with the SBCB is to go on mission trips and sometimes open up new fields for the churches of the SBCV. And a couple years ago, we got a call from some Southern Baptist friends in Guam. And they said, come over, almost like a Macedonian call. Come over and help us. We need you. So me and a, one other, two other people actually went over to Guam to meet with some pastors over there and see some great mission opportunities that are over there and while I was over there before I came back I always like to bring Wendy back a, a little gift sometimes if I can find it and if I feel very uh, uh, not so fearful I might get her some jewelry because I never know you know guys are like this they're just I'm sorry ladies but they don't know they forget sizes they forget colors they forget styles 
they, you know, just please bear with us. We don't know what we're doing half the time. And we're trying. We're try- we really do try. And when we give a gift, we really want it to be like, you know, we want that great reaction from you. We want you to go, oh, this is the best thing. We love you. You're the best ever. You know, that's what we want. And so uh, I don't know why we have these visions of grandeur that we have, but we do. And so I bought this gift for Wendy. It was a coffee mug, and I know she likes mugs from different places, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, she might like it, and there it is. And on it, it says a, a Chamoran phrase in, 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 uh, in Guam, a Chamoran phrase called half a day. It's actually two words, half a day, H-A-F-A-A-D-A-I. And uh, it just means, hey, good day to you. How you doing? Like aloha or something like that. So I got it for her, and I wrapped it up, and I gave it to her, and I was waiting for her reaction. And she opens it, and she goes, oh, thanks, honey. Obviously, I've been married long enough to know what that means. That means, nice try. You know, if there was a sound effect, it'd be wah, 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 you know, like that. So I was like, okay, well, that was nice. It's the thought that counts. So you tell yourself that. And I thought I would never see that coffee mug again. Well, a couple days later, I see her drinking her coffee in the morning from it. I was a little surprised, but I thought, well, that's a pity drink. <laughs> that's a pity drink. She's just being nice. And so I said, I'll, I'll never see that again. A couple days later, I see it again. I'm like, okay, the third time I saw it, I was like, I've got to ask because something doesn't go right. Because to be honest with you, black and orange aren't really her favorite colors, okay? She, she only likes orange because of marrying a redhead. That's the only reason why she likes orange. And black, she wouldn't like. So I, uh, I said, why are you drinking? Do you like the mug? And she goes, well... I don't really like the colors of the mug, but what I do like is what it says. And I said, you like, you like half a day? And she goes, well, what I like to say is, have a day. And I said, okay, now you have to explain this. She said, okay, every morning I get that mug out of the, out of the pantry, out of the cupboard, and I pull it out, and I think to myself, here is a clean, empty cup, ready for me to put something in it. And I like to think of it like my life. Like I want my life to be, for the Lord, clean, empty, and ready to use that day for whatever he has. Something new, not old, not old coffee from yesterday or the day before, but brand new, just made for me, something for me in my cup. Man, isn't that a great way? So she goes, I look at it like have a day. I'm going to have a new day. And well, I love that. And I said, hey, I really did get a good gift for her. <laughs> Not really. But God, God taught us something through that, that every single day as you get that coffee mug out or whatever you drink uh, from, you take that out and look at it and just think to yourself, am I clean today? Am I empty today, ready for him to put something new in that for me today? Think about that. He wants to do something new in your life today. Now you might say to me, Brandon, I hear what you're saying, but one thing, I, I don't think that, that I have anything to give or he has anything to give me because I've never, I don't know him as, as, as a savior to me. You talked about him loving me and naming me and redeeming me and all these things. I've never asked him in my heart. Well, this is the day. 
The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't leave here without first asking him to be your personal savior. In Romans, it says that if you, let's look at Romans 10. I love Romans 10, 9 and 10. I love this because it says it as plainly as can be. Romans 10, and I want you to see it so you know I'm not making it up. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you've never done that, this is your time. It's your time because he wants to do something new in your life. And what is that? The first new thing is that you'll become a Christian. You'll become a child of God. Wow, that would be a great new thing to have today if you've never done that. So it's confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And secondly, you might say, well, Brandon, I am a Christian. I have asked Jesus in my heart, but I've had some dry times here lately. Start praying that the Lord would do something new in your life. Ask him to help you get over whatever is in your life. It could be even victories. Sometimes we can't get over something because it's a victory. And God says, well, that's great. Praise me for it. And now move on for the next victory I have for you. What is it that you need to pray about today? This is the day to start something new. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for your promises for us. Thank you so much for the ministry here at Cedar Bluff for so long. But Lord, I thank you for what you're doing today and what you're going to do this year through this incredible ministry. People coming to Christ, people learning more about him, to being discipled, Lord, and then sharing their faith with others. We pray for your power and for your victory even today and this year. Lord, God bless your word. I pray, Lord, that you just bless your word and cause it to take root in hearts and minds. In Jesus' precious name, amen.